This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 730, brought to you by Quarantine, the new comic book now available on Kickstarter. And iFanboy listeners, just like you, who are washing their hands. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand in other words baby kiss me 
Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 730, exclamation point. I'm Josh Flanagan, and this is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick, period. I did a uh, double take when I saw 730, even though each week it's a new number that goes up. When we hit a new plateau, I go, whoa, even now after 15 years. I always liken it to like, would this get a special issue? Would this get like 32 <laughs> no. pages instead of 24? No. No, 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 no. But five issues ago, 725 might have. 750, definitely. In the old days, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not this one. Well, we would have also, <laughs> we if we did it the way comics did, we'd be on episode eight. Right, that's true. So... Let's go. We are iFanboy and normally read our comic books and talk about them and have fun. Uh, but as we know, nothing is normal right now, uh, including the comics industry. So we're just uh, we're making it up as we go along. There's a pick. Uh, we have been talking about comics, not even tangentially, just not in the same way that we have in the past. And we've also been talking about G.I. Joe, you may be aware. And we will be doing that later. It's fun. For the foreseeable future. It's a lot of fun. you got to find your fun. That's the thing. Oh, is, yeah. There's a crushing reality out there. So I have a whiskey. And we're finding huh? our fun. I just spilled that whiskey on myself. I'm not really a drinker, and I can't eat chocolate cake while we do this, but that's what I would be doing. I would be Last eating chocolate cake. Last weekend, I was cake. on the couch, and I was like, I really want a cake. And I remembered I had a cake mix, and I had a frosting, and within an hour, I had a cake, and uh, there's one piece left because I've been trying to ration it. Right, right. Well, you got to hurry, though. At a certain point, it starts to get bad. Well, it gets, it gets, it gets dry, but I have it in a very tight cake thing it doesn't it, this, yeah. this is not a show about cakes <laughs> yo baby you got some tight cake <laughs> there will be spoilers about yeah. cake and also can, if i just if offer you a challenge because i suspect there are people out there like this who thought i really i don't care about gi joe i didn't watch it yeah. i say just give one of these a run even if you don't know just just give it a shot connor you had the pick and now what that means is you say well, how about this random book Except this isn't random. Yeah, here's the thing. So there are comics coming out. We're going to talk about some of them. But as we said last week, until things are like back to a recognizable normal, we're still going to stick with this unusual format. So DC put out five or six books. Marvel put out one book. There was some other companies that put out books. So we're going to talk about a couple of those books. And Marvel announced this week they're going to put out some digital books in a couple of weeks. So by the end of May, we're going to get more of a semblance of a normal situation. But we're still not there yet. So we're still going to stick with what we've been having fun doing during this time and also talking about what comes out. But that's just, you know, people ask, why didn't you pick one of the regular books? Because uh, things are not normal yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the offering, not the strongest. And I don't think it will be. Not a strong that. offering. And also we had talked, Josh and I, you know, about what kind of books. And normally we don't really plan out what we're going to talk about for pick of the week. It usually happens that week. But after last week, I was like, do you want to do New Frontier? Because we haven't really talked about it in a, in a serious way in a long time. And so nothing was going to beat that this week. <laughs> so, Well, I, I said to you, well, we make sure if I read it, I, I can't read the other books after it because I would hate them. The pick of the week is DC, The New Frontier. It's volume one. It's not the whole thing. It's volume one, which is the first three issues, which came out in 2004. The issues came out in 2004, and then the first trade came out in 2004. If you have the trade, that means that you are reading through chapter seven. Right. So, so the just, point where the Martian manager realizes that about. the danger is out there when he has the freak out when he opens the book. That's the point where this will stop. So story not by Darwin Cook, caused by Dave Stewart, letters by Jared K. Fletcher. I was reading this today finishing it this morning and i don't think i've read this all the way through in a long time i have the digital copy on my ipad i read it in the absolute edition which is really the best way to read this book because of the art i have two copies of the absolute edition i have a hardcover of the deluxe edition 
which is the same thing you get on, on Comixology. I have the Dust Edition on the Comixology. And so I, I'm always constantly referring to it. I have Darwin Cook art on my walls. I have Darwin Cook New Frontier toys in my bedroom. New Frontier is constantly around me, physically. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly pulling the book out and looking at it, but I haven't sat down and actually read it in a long time. And so what was great was that a lot of this, I, I remember the high points, I remember the scenes I really liked, I remember the sequences I really liked, but there's stuff in there that I, I totally had forgotten about. So in a way, it was almost reading it again for the first time, and my gosh, my golly, as Marshall Manor would say, what a book. Yeah, I think I read it, I want to say, shortly after Darwin passed away. Mm-hmm. But it might have been before that. But it wasn't so long ago, but long enough that I don't, you know, remember the details. But as I went through, I mean, that 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 gosh golly thing is definitely the case. I remember getting to the end of the first chapter in this <laughs> and just going, that might be the finest single issue of a comic book I've ever read. It's important to note that at the time this came out, it was before the podcast. It was the year, year before mm-hmm. we started the podcast. Podcasts weren't a thing yet. And I went back and looked. And I think I think I was the only one who read it initially you were i i read the first issue i had no idea what it was and i didn't get it and i wasn't uh one of my problems as a human uh is that i will issue something very quickly but one of my strengths is that usually if something is really great it will come back to me all the wonderful things of it scalped wonderful things scalped after the first issue you came back to it later radiohead the beatles many books you know like if i'm not ready for something i'm not but when it comes around like i'm like oh that's my thing and 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 i will get it and it was or jack kirby like when i'm not ready i'm not ready and then when i am you know, I hate that young me is stupid, but it's not like I didn't get to it eventually. I just wanted to point out issues four and six were picks of the week. Okay. You know, it was a long time ago. I don't the know. Written if, kind? If, yeah, the written kind yeah. before the show. I don't know if I just didn't have it on the weeks where they came out or what. Or I didn't, you know, who knows? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that have to fall in place for a book to get picked of the week. But two of the six got pick of the week back then. I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. something that rec- we recognized as quality at the time. At least I did those reading. I'm, I'm pretty sure Ron wasn't reading at the time. Anyway, this is just preamble to set up sort of where we are with New Frontier. Because we talk about it all the time. Obviously, we're huge fans of Darwin Cook. And, and we became friends with him throughout, through doing this. But this is his masterpiece, even though he did, he's done lots of great things over the years. And reading it again pouring over the pages in the absolute edition i was just constantly sending josh screen captures look at this oh my god this panel oh my god this panel oh my god this panel i'm flipping through it right now and you know like when you take like a bite of something that's really good imagine like perfectly prepared pork belly and it hits your tongue and it melts a little and you just go oh and your body sort of just loses its rigidity for a second Mm -hmm. i've just done that Four times. I'm not exaggerating, just flipping through it. Like you get to a panel or a page, there's a bit where uh, Wally is uh, like reclining on a beach, you know, drinking a, a juice or something. And then there's the page where Superman goes into the hut in Vietnam and, or yep. Cambodia and, and Wonder Woman is like arms up in the air. There's Ted Knight victorious, you know, at the, you know, and this is just the beginning. Ted Grant. Yeah, Wildcat. Ted Knight. Yeah, that's wrong. Then there's there's like a shot of Lois sitting like uh, in front of a bunch of army soldiers and tanks that are coming down a hill, and, and Jimmy's there with the helmet covered his face. Like, oh. Well, one of the reasons I want to talk it's about so this, this book, besides the fact that it's terrific, is that we're better at this thing now than, the, than we have talked about in the past. And so I don't think I ever mm-hmm. really noticed the structure of it before in that he does it in mostly three panel strips each page where it's three mm-hmm. almost widescreen panels. He came from animation from doing this. Tony Harris style. Yeah, and then whenever there's a big moment, he punctuates it with a full page splash. You know, the guy yeah. jumping into the dinosaur or Wonder Woman standing up with her arms up or with the first time Hal sees right. what Ferris is really doing or Ted Grant's victory over Muhammad Ali. 
Batman fighting. Actually, though, that's a two panels of the three panel page, but still. I'd forgotten that it was sort of yeah. this, it's sort of this strip format, and then then he hits you a pow in the face with a full page shot when there's a real big moment. Yeah, it works really well. It it, it works with his art style really well, and it, and you don't lose any storytelling. You might think on the surface this sounds really boring. He does break it up occasionally with six panel grids and other kind of grids, but it's mostly these three. Yeah. grids. you might think it's boring, but his art is so served by the space and the room in each panel. And yeah. he's, a, he's a master at telling a story within a panel that he doesn't need eight panels per page to tell a beautiful story. He doesn't need it. In fact, it's better this way because he's not confined. He's not constrained by it. Yeah. At one point, we were talking to him. I think it was on one of the shows. And it was around the time that he was doing Parker. Mm-hmm. And basically, he said something along the lines of, you know, I've developed a style which lets me make sure I get through things quickly and, you know, well and, you know, don't get behind on you know, his deadlines. Basically, he was saying, you know, he's learned to be efficient. Mm -hmm. I know what that looks like because I know what Parker looks like. And I know that his style did change. If you look at the Jonah Hex issues that he did later, and and it is simpler than what is in New Frontier. Oh, this is like a epic. He didn't overdo it at all. But clearly, there's a watch what I can do thing going on here. The composition of everything is interesting. There's not, there's no skimping and shortcuts. And I don't mean to say that his later work looks bad or too no. simplistic. It doesn't. But I can spot shortcuts. And they're not necessarily bad. They're stylistic. It makes it look good. It fits. But there's just more going on here. And, you know, I, I've said this for quite a while, certainly over the last, I want to say, 10 years. This is my favorite superhero story. Mm-hmm. Just full stop. You know, it's, I'm not, it's not, you know, I've always said Preacher's my favorite comic or whatever, and it is. But as far as superhero stories, I can't think of another one that I like more than this. So, if you haven't read it, and many people haven't, and I would urge you and encourage you and implore you to do so. It was free digitally like a week or two ago. I don't know if it still is, like on DC Digital. This is a nice companion piece to our last pick of the week, which was the JSA, the Golden Age. So, that story ends with the, with the transition from the Golden Age to the Silver Age. And, but this story, it sort of starts at that point. It's not a sequel, but it starts at that same sort of point where the Justice Society has retired due to the... Huac committees, and there's a need for new heroes to rise. It's almost like the first three issues of their preamble because the main character, mm-hmm. Hal Jordan, doesn't even get his ring yet. He doesn't even have his ring until the fourth issue. And we only really find out about the villain at the end of this issue. So really what we're doing in these three issues is setting the stage of the world of the DC Universe. We're starting in the 40s with the war, the end of the World War II, and we're going to the late 50s by the end of this third issue. So we're seeing the losers which is almost the whole first issue, the losers on Dinosaur Island. At first, it seems like a non-sequitur story, but this will tie in later to Mm -hmm. the villain of the story. So we're seeing how the war transitions out. The people in World War II, you know, Flag is there, and he's an important character. And then we go to the Korean War with Hal Jordan and Lois Lane, who's a war correspondent with Jimmy Olsen, and Hal Jordan is a pacifist pilot who has to end up killing a Korean soldier because, you know, it's one or the other. And then, you know, we meet... John Jones, who arrives on Earth, and these are all very true to the you know the comic book stories. Yeah. John Jones arriving on Earth and becoming John Jones the detective because he's stranded, he can't return, so he's got to assimilate into the culture. Superman and Wonder Woman, which is probably the biggest sort of change, and this is this was an Elseworlds story at the time. This is now a Black Label story, so it's not exactly continuity. Superman and Wonder Woman are tools of the state; they're fighting the war in Vietnam for the U.S. and that's a great sequence. And then you're meeting Barry Allen, The Flash, and you're meeting all these characters. Batman shows up. You're just sort of really setting the stage for what's to come 
as he really starts to dig into the world and flesh out these characters and Hal Jordan, the Suicide Squad, and Flag, and, and then John Henry, who's, a, who's a basically a new character. There's just a lot of world building in these three issues, and it's just so, it's just so enveloping. You know, it's just, it's just terrific. Yeah, I think it's the first time I read it when I was, you know, much younger, although I was 27. I didn't really know most of this stuff, the Golden Age, the Silver Age stuff that it set at the beginning of it. You know, I wasn't familiar with the losers, the challengers, the, the unknown, the Suicide Squad. A lot of that stuff had just gone past me. And I, well, I was, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of peripheral stuff. You don't really yeah. get a lot of the meat and potatoes heroes until the second half of the book. And I didn't know to appreciate that then, and I certainly do now. Another thing that I didn't know, even the last time that I read this, I hadn't read the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that I have read the right stuff, it's very apparent that that Darwin had <laughs> and that he liked it very much. There's stuff there's stuff in here that is like straight up quotes from stuff that you know the Mercury Seven had said, and and there there's a little thing in here where you know Hal thought he was on his way to being part of the Mercury Seven, and Colonel Flag just like, oh no, you're not even. They're already chose. No, not you. <laughs> Which you know is sort of you know the, because he is a weirdo pacifist, and they think that he might be a little bit communist. You know. A little, little pink there's a great bit where king faraday shows at the beginning i still don't know who that is but i know he's from this story and i just didn't i didn't have a context for that character before but i do now because i know a heck of a lot more history and i know a heck of a lot more what's going on and i was like that's one of the greatest speeches in a comic book that actually there's a section in there where basically king faraday explains everything to hal jordan and it is the most dialogue packed exposition in anything ever and if it had not been written really well it would have been bad (laughs) but at one point just like hal is in a capsule that they they drop you know and 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 he says he's just spamming a can now that was something that the the mercury 7 astronauts said all the time because they were annoyed that they didn't get to actually pilot yeah they they had no control over the vehicle right You know, and the weird testing that Hal goes through at the beginning where he's just like, there's just been months of them doing these. That's what happened to Mercury 7. And they they hated it. They didn't know what the hell was going on. They thought they were pilots and they weren't. And this is a lot of what's going on there. This story ends up different for Hal. There's a lot of that. And and Chuck Yeager at the beginning. Oh, great. Hal says something about wanting to be at the top of the pyramid. And that is a running theme through the right stuff and how you know pilots were always climbing up the ziggurat of the period to try to get to the be the best pilot as possible and they had a very specific personality type and you see that that's what hal jordan is except for that one thing that right. he won't kill anybody and i think that is super interesting and it lets that guy be a superhero the first issue can be challenging if you don't realize what you're looking at because the first issue is mostly dinosaur island so if you get this book called dc the new frontier and you're expecting superman batman wonder woman and you're getting the losers fighting dinosaurs on Dinosaur Island for the most part. And then a, then a Watchmen-esque contextual magazine from the time talking about the death of the Hour Man. It's, it's like, what did I just read? Totally. You know? and, and, and I wasn't in a position to really get that. But the last couple of times I read it, you know, that last bit where he jumps mm-hmm. into the mouth of the beast what an incredible segment that was my desktop you know on like yeah. my ipad for years yeah i still put it back every once in a while man that is some comic booking you know it's a, it's a series of vignettes as we build the worlds and so looking back on it you yeah. know the superman wonder woman sequence in the vietnam is terrific the stuff with lois lane when she meets hal jordan in korea is terrific the flash story so that's is, my is favorite first, and that's, like, sort wow, of, that's, a- that's you know it's sort of cliche but the story in vegas in which a lot of the luminaries in the DC universe are there to watch Ted Grant fight Muhammad Ali, and there's a, there's a sneaky little Alan Scott cameo. And then Captain Cole shows up to, you know, wreak havoc, and so that Barry runs to Iris' rescue, because Iris is also there with Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle and Oliver Queen. They're all there for the fight, and 
and they're all in 60s suits and it's all very glamorous and rat packy and then you have great flash story and it ends with this great image of snow in in vegas and it's just this wonderful swinging 60s-esque sequence where it just makes you feel like dc sh- and it's not in the 60s it's the late 50s but it's that same era yeah. it makes you feel like dc should always take place in this time yeah, but not everybody could do it. Right, and that's the problem. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's the problem. Well, also, this is actually probably a really good time. We are over the moon here about what Darwin has done here. But I don't know if it's the first segment, but that is a segment where the coloring of Dave Stewart really stands out. Oh, for sure. Like, could not be more perfect for the story that's being told. Like, this was one of the first examples of me sort of, like, getting like, oh, that's what's good about color. That's when it works. That's when overcoloring and the contrast of that bright red against all the blue and just thoughtfulness going into everything. You know, I don't feel like I know enough to talk about why the color is great all the time, but like all through this thing, it's just perfect. You know, there's a, there's a reason that Dave Stewart won the Eisner for color pretty much every year. I don't even know if he had to do something that year. There's just nobody better than him yet, you know, until people came <laughs> on along later you know, to basically take what he'd done and apply it to stuff too, you know, or build on top of it. But like, he was the innovator, you know, he's, it's almost like he's the Jack Kirby of coloring. Like he's just, it doesn't look good. like a Dave Stewart dark horse book. It doesn't look like a Hellboy book. No. Yeah. It's a good point. It's appropriate for the story. It's very primary colory, even though there's lots of thoughtful coloring here. It's, it's, it's very pop arty. You know, the colors are yeah. bright. The flash is bright red. Superman's bright blue and yeah. red. There, there's no hiding what we're looking at here. I'm scrolling through the thumbnail, you know, on Comicsology to look at the pages, and you can just see the pop of color, mm-hmm. you know, on the flash pages and Green Lantern. Now, this scene, this whole boxer fight and then after party thing is also really good. Uh, I want to make a little callback to a conversation that we had. It might have been last week. It might have been before. This is a scene where you actually have a lot of people who are not in costumes who kind of look similar. Yeah. There's a lot of women with dark hair uh, that kind of have the same skin tone and a lot of men in the same way. And we were talking about this. The names are are sprinkled around liberally so that every time I yes. was like, wait, who am I talking to? They were saying everybody's name at every possible chance. And I was like, that is old school comic booking in a big way. Like I, I'm, I'm looking at it now and I just like they just keep saying the names and it actually doesn't feel like it sticks out all that much. No. But I always knew who everybody was because people do say each other's names. And even though yeah. and also even though we didn't know that was Alan Scott sitting in the crowd, we, we got a sense that this blonde guy in the white tux jacket next to Selena was somebody you know, later on, a few pages later, someone says, hey, I saw Alan Scott earlier. And so obviously that, you know, so like, even if it doesn't happen right then, you have it mm-hmm. in play. You, you know that this bl- other blonde guy is Oliver Queen. You know, that he, clearly this is Bruce Wayne and it's just Lois Lane. And it's just very solid in terms of fundamentals, which is sort mm-hmm. of an yeah. understatement for Darwin Cook because he's all about fundamentals. There's never a question of who is this side character? Who is King Faraday? In a comic now, King Faraday might show up and you just, you just may not even know who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, you may be yeah. expected to know based on the art. It's a feast. It's a visual feast. And then, you you know, there's lots of things going on here. There's the whole, you know, disturbing John Henry side story with the Klan. And that's, you know, dealing with the, the racism of the 50s and 60s that's happening. Very interesting how that has a lot in common with what they did in the Watchmen TV show. Yes, exactly. Yes. A lot of that there, which I, I think is... Uh, and I listened to all the podcasts about that. And Lindelof never mentioned this, but it was very familiar to that to me. And I, I know that they were working on Hooded Justice, but the Hooded Justice that was in The Watchmen is not that character. No. But the one in the TV show was a lot like this. There's a couple of bits with the art where there's one point where John Jones is at the movies because he loves to go to the movies because he can really soak in everyone's emotion and it's very intense for him. And they're watching Fox Movie Tone, which is something that Josh and I used to work with. 
And just the way he draws black and white, mm-hmm. it's not colored black and white, although it no, is. It's the way mean. he draws it. It just looks different than the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the world. And it's yeah. just the art in it is just so, it's just so good. You should theoretically, black and white art is, is not the same thing as is just regular art without color. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's not the way that that works. I think the other thing that became apparent to me, and I've said this before, but every time I go back to it, I'm reminded of it is that for most of the characters in here, this is my favorite version of them. Yes. And I know why they can't do that in other comics, and I know, but but nowhere ha- has it been so clear, uh, you know, I, I, the Flash in this. I was like, why isn't every Flash comic just like that Flash? <laughs> exactly. You know, and, well, you know, it's like the thing where we're back where we used to talk about, like, should Spider-Man be married? Should yeah. this? And, and, like, this presents a very good argument for why it's ridiculous to make these people old. Yes. You know, the Hal Jordan in this is the most clearly defined Hal Jordan I've ever read. Same thing with Martian Manhunter. In a very short amount of time, I understand who that character is and the whole thing about them. And it makes you realize how much people don't understand them and how sort of vague all of these different representations are. And I think it's very hard to do that. Oh, it's not easy. But I had the same thought while I was reading it that if I, you know, people often ask this, what would you do if you were in charge of DC or Marvel? I would hand everyone this graphic novel again. Even though you assume that most of them have read this and, mo- and almost all of them have who are making comics. This is it. This is, this is the heart of DC Comics here. And it's, mm-hmm. it's completely not relevant to what's happening in the comics right now. And that's partially why no. it's, not as, it's not as interesting. Well, we, we used to play this exercise. I remember being in San Diego and I think it's because it was actually happening. Somebody teased us with something. They were, there was somebody who was writing, about to write Superman. And they said, you know, they said to us, they were like, I don't have an artist yet. Who's the best person you would put on it? And yeah. we all like reconvened and we were just like Darwin. Like, and this is before <laughs> we'd had him on the show. We, yeah. we knew him, but I couldn't think like none of us could think of somebody who would be able to do Superman better from an artistic standpoint. Now, mm-hmm. to be fair, he should have just written it too. <laughs> but I, I don't, and I don't want Dar. I wouldn't have wanted Darwin on monthly superhero comics or anything because I don't think that's where he would shine. He was looking to do it. They never offered it to him. He was. He would have been happy to, and they just never offered him a monthly book. And he said that uh, ironically, that what this book did to him in comics was to pigeonhole him as a Silver Age guy, right? Which completely misses the point. Yes. Yeah. This is a great setup to a payoff that's going to happen later. Your, issue four is. Hal Jordan finally gets his ring, and heroes start to come together. And th- this first three issues is almost like here is an overview of the DCU at this time. Here's an overview of the DCU in the '50s. Here's what all the main characters are doing. Here's here's a Batman that's still in the Golden Age version of Batman, still acting like the Golden Age version of Batman. It's a great Batman. Now this that's one I don't know if I'd call it my favorite Bat. Like this is my favorite Hal Jordan. It's my favorite Wonder Woman by far. Favorite Martian Manhunter. Probably favorite Flash. I don't know if it's my favorite Batman, but it is a Batman at a time that was really cool. I sent you a panel at one point, yep. and it was basically it, Batman's rescuing a kid. And, you know, Slam Bradley is describing how he's, you know, like the meanest fighter he's ever seen. And by the way, Slam Bradley's eye, eye, eyelids are my favorite <laughs> thing in this comic book. It's just his sleepy eyelids. I was like, that's amazing. Uh, and I'm sure that there is a, a Golden Age movie star who he looks like, but I wasn't sure. Oh, he's Robert Mitchum. That's it. That's totally it. Yep. I was like, it's nice. Dean. It's like Dean Martin's eyes, but not drunk. Like, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's Robert Mitchum. Anyway, basically, Batman's trying to rescue this kid from these violent cultists who are going to sacrifice him. And finally, he, he beats all the guys down, and he goes over to the kid to save him. And the kid starts screaming because 
Batman is scary. So in the first panel, he's, you know, sort of determined and going towards the kid. In the second panel, the kid screams and Batman like reels back, like confused and surprised. Right. And I was like in those two panels, that was so much storytelling. And I've also never seen that face on Batman. Right. But if he was that age, he probably wouldn't like he's determined. He wouldn't realize that he would scare the shit out of a kid. It never would have occurred to him. And it would have taken him. He back. hasn't taken Dick on yet. Yeah. So he hasn't learned to not scare the kids. Robin does show up in this later, right? Well, that, that's the transition from Golden Age Batman to Silver Age Batman happens right. in, in between these next, you know, the issues where we stopped reading. Yep. There was only one point in this book where I stumbled on the storytelling, and that I think was a lettering issue because the I think the balloon was too high. But mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, it's a cliche to say that Darwin is a master class in storytelling, but he is. He he tells a yeah. whole. Oh, yeah. A volume of storytelling within just three panels a page. It's really incredible what he does with character work, what he does with the fundamentals of physicality and storytelling and giving everyone a different face, giving everyone a different look, giving everyone a personality. It's a prime example of how you don't need a million lines on a page mm-hmm. to do your job. I think this was probably the book that convinced me that you shouldn't have a million lines on every page. Right. You know, like I was always leaning towards sort of cartoony stuff at a certain point. But when I really got this, I just I thought oh, that's the perfect because it, it doesn't lose anything. Usually there's a trade off. Right. You know, and, and we like when I was younger, much younger, I would have said, you know, like, man, like the guys that draw more photorealistic and there's all that stuff, you know, but that doesn't actually convey emotion to me as well. Now, I don't like it as much at all because it, it feels, I don't know too real whereas this it's it's so much easier for the cartoony guys not easier but they can just tell you the story instead of worrying about making sure that you know this looks completely real but darwin treads that line perfectly like there's nothing looks wrong the anatomy the perspective the build like it's all right but it's it's just not laborious it seems effortless and the world's full he does full backgrounds when when they're called for but also doesn't when they're not called for he really is it's whatever the story needs at the moment as an artist who came from animation he wasn't sort of tied into those comic book tropes you know he wasn't someone who only had drawn comics and so you know sort of recycles comic tropes over and over and over again it was like it was a fresh perspective on all this stuff which was nice also if i might go way into nerd i'm not sure that he's drawing all of the sound effects on the board but it looks like it and aside from that there's a lot of lettering in this in the background the ferris you know like Mm -hmm. signs the signs in the background of gotham city the posters have sort of there's i'm looking at like the periodic table of elements that he drew behind Barry in his office and then, you know, like the writing on there and the signage, you know, as the flash runs by, uh, like like I said, this is a full on illustration. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's all of the things that I don't know what people are still taught now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it used to be this way or that, but it used to be. uh, I am saying it apparently. I don't I feel like if if comic modern comic book artists are taught that stuff, they don't use it in the work all that often anymore. You know, a lot of these guys, when they would sort of learn how to be illustrators, they would learn how to draw. They would learn how to illustrate letters. They would like that was all part of that. It was all part of the illustrative process. Yeah, which is not. Yeah. And and now, you know, everything's pretty segmented. So any letters that go in that comic book are done by a letterer in his computer. You just don't see that on the board lettering all that. I don't even just mean the balloons, but like everything is sort of digitally added in later. And it's a real lost art. And that's why, you know, again, I know that I used to be able to appreciate Chris Ware. You know, but then one day I went to a museum and I saw Chris Ware pages and I just thought, oh, these are all <laughs> giant. 
Like they're a yes, they're giant, but b like every letter and and Darwin illustrated this too with the Spirit miniseries that he did. Yes, um, where the you know the the title pages were always stylized uh, letters and things like that. But it really does. It's a fuller illustrator sort of profile. And again, you know, this was a prestige project. He got to be in control of it, work on it. But I, I don't know anybody who does this anymore. It's incredible. It was a joy to reread in the giant format and just pour over it and I, I mean should we spoil that next week we're doing part two i mean i i should hope i mean <laughs> i would be angry at us if we did we'll return next week for the for the part two we'll talk more about the story because it really sort of kicks off next part yeah the next part's definitely more plot heavy and i think we'll get a little less philosophical on things but maybe not maybe we'll get more so that was the pick of the week and i apologize for the other comics that came out this week <laughs> Connor sent me his list, and he's like, "Are you ready? Other comics you want to talk about?" And I was like, "No, I've read several others, but it's funny because like I'm not. We're not going to talk about Swamp Thing, but I read Swamp Thing this week, and I was like, oh yeah, he was totally right last week. It was like it was exactly what you said it was last week. Hmm. I didn't read it, so good to know. So I yeah, read the well, three. You the, were right. The three main DC books came out. The first one was the Green Lantern season two, number three from Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp, Tom Orzechowski. Did you read this? I did. I did. What has happened to this book? Trying to remember if I liked it. Remember how good it was right. when it first yeah. came out, and then it was like the first half of the se- first season was really, really good to the point where I bought yeah. Ron for Christmas the collection of the first six issues. Because the first six issues were incredible, and then once the the dark black stars thing happened, black stars or dark stars? Dark, dark stars. stars. Once that happened, black I, stars, black stars. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the book completely lost its way when that happened. It's never returned. And one of the highlights has been Liam Sharp's art. And this issue, he does this weird painterly style, but it's also interspersed with his regular style. And I couldn't figure out why it would change. Like, there was no real story reason for it to change. I went back to the beginning. I was like, wait, who's drawing this? And I was like, oh, it's Liam Sharp. It's really interesting that he can do this other style. I would like him to stop, though. It just didn't work. It just felt, you know? it, it didn't work. And if the whole issue was like that as an experiment, fine. But then there would be random pages and or panels within a page of his regular drawn style. And I was like, why is this happening? There's, I, can't, I couldn't figure it out story-wise, why they would switch the art around. It's genuinely impressive. Except it just so happens that that's a style I don't like. It looks very digitally. Yeah, it looks like airbrushed. Yeah, and I, I, I just like the line work that he does so much. Look at page six in your digital reader, right? So the top panel where Hal's visiting his buddy in in the hospital after he's crashed his experimental jet. It's the f- top panels is basically the old drawn style and then the rest of the page is all his painted style. I don't know why it's switched that way. Look at page 14 and you've got sort of the spaceship being picked up. The spaceship is drawn in line style. Yes. And the characters aren't but then the no, page. The, char- the characters are drawn in line style there. That's, yeah. that's his drawing. But then all around it, it's this weird... The effect of Hal in the cockpit of this experimental jet where he's the the, the engine is red behind him, that kind of worked for me. I, mm-hmm. liked, I liked the way that looked, but I didn't like the way overall the book looked. And I also just don't know what's going on with this book anymore. I don't. The stories are all, all over my head. and It was weird that they had these Porg things yeah. that were there for kind of... No, and like, for no and, reason, really. I understand, you know, it's Graham Morrison. He does weird things and he wants to have fun with it. He wants to do all stuff. But this one, it just hasn't, it hasn't, you're right, it hasn't been working for me. It's getting to the thing where sometimes you're Grant Morrison and you'd be like, oh, wow, that's Grant Morrison. And now I'm reading one. This is Grant Morrison. 
And that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like somebody trying to do Grant Morrison. The first six issues were, were the first Grant Morrison. Like, holy shit, this is incredible. Right. You know, why is no one talking about this? And, and now, but now it's like, I don't, I couldn't in good conscience recommend this book because I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Which is a bummer. I know that this was the story and it was the story point where he wouldn't take his ring with him to fly the experimental plane. Right. And I got that. And it, honestly, if that had happened at the point of the story, it, when Darwin Cook's story in the New Frontier, I would have said, "Yeah, that makes sense." But this point later, when he's like the big top badass, you know, Green Lantern cop guy, I just think later along he'd be like, "No, I, that's irresponsible. I can't do that." Yeah, I mean, I, f- I can see it both ways. I can too. What's interesting is this is the most Hal Jordan like the one in New Frontier. That's that, true. That we've that's seen true. in quote unquote regular comic. This is very much. Like Chuck Yeager, Hal Jordan, as opposed to yes. other books. So this is that's what's interesting about it having coming out this week when we're talking about New Frontier as well. That's part of the reason that I could buy it, but it did just feel like a plot point because you know that guy. It's not the guy who we've seen in the book so far. It's an excuse to have him when he, when they crash. He doesn't have a way out. But like, it's it's been happening throughout the whole series. This one where he hasn't been wearing his ring while he's been flying. You're right. At certain points, like, well, what are you trying to prove? That's here? just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we were just talking about the right stuff, guys. That fits in with that. But, you know, it's like the thing where it made more sense for a lot of the guys to crash their planes than eject. Yeah. But actually, that was that was mathematical based. We, I could go on anyway. But, yeah, you're right. Like, it just – it was a thing that I really looked forward to, and then it became a thing that I was hesitant about. And now it's now it makes me wonder, am I missing something? Right. And I don't like that. Hawkman 23, Robert Venditti still writing, Marcio Takara and Fernando Pissarin are t- trading off art duties with Jeremy Cox on colors and Rob Lee on letters. And I actually really like this. It's funny because I joked because we'd already picked New Frontier before the comics came out. And I was like, well, I guess if Hawkman's really good, I'll feel bad. But Hawkman turned out to be really fun, although a little too close to home as we've continued to journey through time and space in Hawkman's past. Here we're in Seville, Spain in 1650, where Hawkman is dealing with the plague. And I was like, no, can't do that right now. Too close to home. When would that have been written, do you think? Well, I don't know. Because it might have been written as this was all happening, like... Maybe. December. Like, you know, before it was a real thing, but like, oh, that's interesting. That sort of makes me think of this. And then he wouldn't have known what it would have turned into. But that's it. just, you know. It was really, actually, a really fun issue, even if I was like, at the beginning, I was like, ah, but they've brought back Shira, <laughs> who hasn't been Hawkwoman in, in years. Their pairing is really fun. And, you know, the stuff from back then when he's the doctor, because he's been all these different people throughout time. So he's this doctor in Spain, and he's trying to help people with the plague. But they think he's the reason why everyone's getting sick, and so they're going to burn him at the stake. It's, and he gets saved by Shira, and they're both wearing this creepy bird mask, which you can see on our Instagram page. It was really fun, legitimately. It might have been my favorite of the three DC books I read this week outside of New Frontier. Cool. But I actually also really enjoyed the Flash 753, which is funny. They're sticking with the original numbering. I like those artists. You know, we've had this weird roller coaster with Flash where it's been like, it was good for a while, it was bad for a while, and then every once in a while it's good. There was a good arc with year one, but then it went back to bad again. So I never know what I'm going to get with the Flash, but here... This is Josh Williamson with art by Howard Porter and Brennan Peterson. Ooh. This is almost like a reset issue. It's not, but if you were at all curious about The Flash, this would be a good place to, to check out where Barry realizes he needs the help of the reverse Flash in what he's doing, so he has to travel through time 
to try to find him and recruit him. And so we're retreated to a lot of sort of Flash greatest hits as he bounces around through time on a cosmic treadmill. Love the cosmic treadmill. One of my favorite Silver Age devices. I also really love that there are so many things that we accept as comic readers because they've always been there no matter how dumb they are. And one of them is calling a character Reverse Flash and taking it totally seriously. (laughs) I literally remember running across that character the first time. Running across. That wasn't on purpose. And just thinking... Really? That's what you're... And then you just go with it. You're fine. They even do it on the TV show. It's just like we all just accept that this objectively stupid name is going to work for us and make sense. And he's a really dangerous and cool character. So we even find it sort of foreboding. Then you give him a first name that you can't even pronounce. Eobard. Eobard. It helps to watch the TV show. But it's just like you step back and go, this is really silly. But also we've been dealing with it for 40 years. So who cares? 50. More. Again... Eobod's wearing the classic Reverse Flash costume, and Barry's got the new dumb one, so again, I don't know where my allegiances totally lie here. This is like an overview issue. We see Flashpoint, we see stuff from his mom, we see the future with the Flash Museum, and he bounces around time, we get a Flash overview, and then at the end, he convinces Eobod he's got to help him. If you're at all curious, this would be a good issue, actually, to jump onto. Like, I, I know we're we're way behind, and I just want to, like, this, what you just explained to me had a lot to do with why, like, the Flash and New Frontier, it's just like, his mother and the Flash, and I'm like, ugh, I don't want the Flash haunted by his dead mother. We don't it's need, so every character doesn't need pathos, because the, the cool thing about the yeah. Flash, is, and Barry Allen in particular, because Wally was sort of haunted by the death of Barry, but w- Barry was the comic geek who got superpowers. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is cool! You know, yep. even in New Frontier, you see him reading an old Flash comic. Yep, he was the, the readership surrogate who got powers, and isn't this awesome to be hanging out with Superman? Yep, every character's Batman now, and everyone's haunted, yep. and et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's let's let's not even get into it. This is a bad comparison. It's true. For Sorry, some, some of these characters. This episode is brought to you by Quarantine, not the one you're living, but uh, Quarantine, the 40-page crazy sci-fi one-shot comic with each page drawn by a different incredible artist and written by Frank at Home on the Farm writer and iFanboy patron Jordan Thomas and featuring a cover by Derek Robertson, who I love, co-creator and artist on The Boys, Transmetropolitan, and Happy. There's some amazing artists working on the book, including former Hellblazer artist Gary Erskine, 2000 AD artist Shaky Kane, Emma Kubert, Clara Meath, Craig Patton, and Gustavo Vargas. The story focuses on the Loon family, whose apartment building is sent for quarantine in an alternate universe without reason. Kept in their apartment by guard bots that patrol the halls, things get stranger and stranger until the family ends up closer than they have ever been before. Picture J.D. Ballard mixed up with uh, H.P. Lovecraft and a little bit of Rick and Morty in there. Quarantine is live to buy on Kickstarter now until June 1st. Simply search Quarantine on Kickstarter in the comics section or visit at Jordan underscore J underscore Thomas on Twitter to find the link. We will make sure that there's a link there on the iFanboy page for this show. Yep. Yep. Original pages, merchandise, and a huge back catalog of the creator's previous work are also available. Uh, There's one story, 28 artists, and no escape. So go check that out. Quarantine. If you're um, a patron... And you're on our Discord server. He's been showing us off a lot in uh, the fan art and other projects channel. So he's he's been working on this for for a while and uh, exciting. He's got some big names on it for sure. So there was, a, there was actual patron pick this week, and yeah. I had forgotten about it. But you but you made that well, happen. Enough comics came out. We decided to bring the patron pick back as well as all these motorcycles. And the patron pick ended up by a wide margin being Bad Karma Number One, which is published by Panel Syndicate. Written by Alex DeCampi, art by Ryan Howe, colors by D. Cunniff, and Alex DeCampi also lettered it. And this is 
second panel syndicate book we've talked about this during this quarantine time and uh, it beat green lantern year one by about 10 percentage points so it was it, it went pretty handily mm-hmm. alex DeCampi is a name i see all the time but i don't think i've ever actually read anything she's written before i couldn't I find think... anything but i see her name pop up in places she's done a couple of image series yeah i've seen her name around for a long time but she's never really done like mainstream you know marvel dc right. stuff but it's part of the scene, and I, you know, it's escaped me. But I, she writes you know, animation think, and other stuff. She says she's sitting there back. It's just a name that sticks to you. It's a very unusual name, and yes. And so I was like, oh, interesting. I've never actually read anything she's done, so that's fun. And so Bad Karma is a story of two U.S. war veterans who are home and dealing with various PTSD and physical injuries that they've dealt with. Now there's obviously a story happening under here, although for the most part, this issue is mostly about them. In their lives on Christmas. Is that accurate? Yeah, I guess so. It opens up where they go to a prison and say, hey, dude, you're about to be executed for this murder. We actually did it. We want to help you. And then we, then we flash back to before leading up yeah. to that point. One of the guys, he only has PTSD. He doesn't have any physical injuries. So he's still an active military contractor. His buddy is missing. His, Private military contractor. Right. His buddy's missing his leg and other parts of his body. He's not. And so... This is all somehow involved with uh, something they did before and killed a dude. And we don't know anything about that. But this is mostly about them dealing with the one dude's ex-wife's or ex-girlfriend's family and that kind of thing. What did you think of this? So the other thing I think that is important to know here is that, and there's a lot of context clues if you know to look for them, is that this takes place, you know, in Boston. Yeah. Around, you know, like in Quincy, in Southie, they're, they're around there. And the characters, once you realize that, that's how they're talking. Like at one point, somebody says, wicked. And you're like, once I figure, you know, there's a Boston hat. And at one point, the, the woman gets off the plane. She's got those Patriot sweatpants that are yeah. on every third woman in Boston <laughs> uh, who isn't who isn't going to a professional job. Right. I did wish, though, that that was a little more obvious. Like, they were subtle about it, but... They didn't write the accent phonetically or anything like that, so it took me a little while to come on to it. So it, it's at the same time like it felt sort of authentic, but also almost just slightly too subtle before I picked up on well, it. Well, I mean, like, the, I the, like, the guy's wearing a Red Sox hat and they leave the airport in the beginning. He's like, fucking Boston, because it's really yeah. cold out. And, and, I mean, it was pretty early on. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I just didn't, I don't know. Like, I wanted like the big thing that, yeah, I don't know, because they were flying all over the place. I, I think the point is, though, is that I really normally like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my take on this whole book was that I almost liked a lot of it, mm. if that makes sense. Like, if I'm glancing through the art, I think, oh, it looks pretty good. But then I'll get to things every once in a while, like, eh, not quite, though. It's almost there. It has a very... Yes. Who was the Why the Last Man artist? Piaguerra? Very Piaguerra-esque quality to it. And for, for the most part, I liked it. But every once in a while, there'd be a panel where the arm was way too short or something strange was going on. There's an authenticity to it because the car they get in is like an old Subaru wagon, like the old boxy kind from the 80s. But like it doesn't look like the looks like a Google SketchUp. Right. I don't know if that's still a thing. I think it used to be. I don't know. It's just and then there's like uh, they go down into the basement of the house that they're in and like the person didn't want to draw, you know, the, the ceiling. Just look, it's like it's almost good, but that it's a little off. The cartooning is almost expressive, but it's a little stiff. And the coloring is almost good, but it's then it's a little digital gradienty and the story is almost interesting but it's kind of familiar it doesn't have whatever that extra spark is it's not i know it's all boston and then i think it's real enough whoever wrote this i think is very familiar with it but it's not quite as fun as watching mark Wahlberg and martin sheen <laughs> yell in the accents and people should note that josh currently lives in new hampshire oh but i grew up in new england 
Well, that's fucking appropriate. I fucking live here. Uh, I, I think I think the, the biggest problem was there wasn't enough story in the first issue. You know, for a book like this, that's true. You really need to get get the hooks in. And now the idea that they killed this dude and someone else is going to execute it for it is interesting. But I don't know enough details about You're what right. happened. I think that's a good point. Is that there was not so you had that thing in the beginning where like, hey, we think we killed that person, and they only used up a couple of pages. That was fine. But by the last page, they see the dude on the news, yeah. and then it's just like, then what are we going to do, Sully? Which I read like in the Kevin Smith movie, the Bad Will Hunting, I think it was. <laughs> But you're right. It's not quite enough. Like, I, I, how does that – like, they didn't tell us. that I, I, We needed a little more. Again, it was almost that thing, but it wasn't quite. If you read the article in the back, the, the this point, standard article in the back explaining what you just read, she wants to explore PTSD and coming out of the war and, and male friendships as much as she does the plot, which is totally fine. And I really enjoyed the scene of the family, which was – it felt like most of the issue, the dinner scene. Mm-hmm. But that took up yeah. so much real estate that I don't know enough about the plot to know if I want to keep going, even though I did really enjoy it. And also, that scene, you're right, was good, but also I didn't really know who they were. Right. So, like, I hadn't spent enough time with any of the characters individually. When you put them all together, I don't know the context of what those conversations are. And then finally, you know, just I'm not – I am ragging on it, I guess, or whatever, but – I know that like the idea was we want to explore PTSD in soldiers. And she said, you know, like I've grown up around men, you know, who are like this and whatever. And obviously you're in Boston. You, you're familiar with this. A, I'm so sick of the essay explaining what I just read. Yeah. I, if you didn't put it in the story, I don't want to hear about it. Put it in the trade if you must. But you, you shouldn't have to. In fact, you should not want to. But the story didn't come off that way to me. And partially because it felt at first like especially given the first couple of pages it felt like christ what's the name of the book the steve lieber nick spencer book the fix the fix that disappeared that's never, what it, never felt like. it felt like a farcical yeah you know sort of buddy comedy kind of thing and graphically it's hard to switch from that over to what she's talking about thematically and maybe they could get there eventually but it wasn't yeah. front and center too. yeah it's tough because it's a very admirable subject to, to want to explore yes and, and i think there's some there's some sequences that really work where the guy yes desperately wants a drink but his kids come home and it's the struggle between wanting to go hug his kids and wanting to drink and then even when he's hugging the kids he's looking at the whiskey bottle and there was some lot of really good stuff in here there's truth and authenticity in here for sure yes. but i think it's just it was all just missing a step it wasn't tied together quite enough you know the art didn't quite do like it the things that weren't clear, like there were decisions that weren't made. I don't think the right way. Yeah, it's tough. I, I it was. I don't think it was bad. No, it isn't. I was hoping to really be blown away and really want to read the next issue, and I didn't really have that when I got to the end of it. So let's do the ratings on it. Ratings. Ratings. Out of five stars, I'm going to give it three. Three. Sticking. I with should it. love this. Yeah. I might read the next one because first issues are weird. Yeah. And maybe it'll sort of write itself because a, a lot of these things in here, this sounds like, and, and I was, I was reading it and I was finding myself sort of being like, Ugh, this is, and I thought, you know, you always complain that everything has a supernatural element and it isn't, <laughs> and this doesn't, this is straight up exactly what I've asked for, but it wasn't what exactly what I wanted. I like that out. you have a conversation with yourself. I like that. All the time. Can't, I wish I could shut myself up. All right. So that's bad karma. Number one from panel syndicate. You can go to panel syndicate.com. You can buy it at any price. That's what Panel Syndicate does. So if you want to pay 50 cents or 10 cents or $10. So let's talk about the patron powers. That's how we reward uh, our $5 or higher patrons who are over at patreon.com. The ones who voted on the patron pick. Every patron gets a vote on the patron pick. But the patrons at the $5 or higher level get their own superpower. So we're going to thank Greg Reinhardt. And Josh, do you recall those famous commercials from our childhood, <laughs> our youth? 
Calgon take me away? I do. When Greg has a luxurious bubble bath, mm-hmm. not necessarily using Calgon, but just any kind of luxurious bubble bath, he can then find himself whisked away to wherever his fantasy is, is currently oh. said. I thought he would have to yell it like He-Man and say, I have the power. And you, Calgon, take me away! Well, he has to think or say that phrase, even if he's not using okay. Calgon, but he will be taken away to wherever he is man- imagining he, he is not currently. Now, people, people may not want to leave the luxurious bubble bath, but maybe they want to be having that bubble bath in Bermuda or Bahama or, come on, Pretty Mama. Anywhere there's not a... A virus happening. I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know. There's the moon, the space. It's really hot here, and also I just want to be out of here. So that's what the International Space Station. That's what Greg. That's what Greg uh, can do. He can take himself away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every day Ryan Mount wakes up. Mm-hmm. He is greeted by the reanimated or uh, once again alive personage of one celebrity who died prior to that, and that. That person follows him around all day, you know, whether they get along or don't, if it's annoying or fascinating. This first day is like, oh, I'm spending, I was with Montgomery Clift all day on Thursday. And then. So for 24 hours, he has a ghost yeah. celebrity buddy. Every yeah, day? I mean, every day? Every day is a new one. They're corporeal, they're a real person. They're in his house. He wakes up, they're on the couch. Does he get repeats? No, no. I mean, this. I think there's enough, I okay. think. You know, he might not know all of them. Like, right. you know, oh, I was. I was in gangster movies in the 30s, you know, like, you know, then one day it's like Adam Yauk is here. Awesome. And then, you know, he's hanging out with Jimi Hendrix one day. So he thought he'd like him more. Lennon was a prick, you know? Yeah, I guess there's, I guess there's probably enough between music and TV and movies and. Yeah. Yeah. Artists, what have you. Can anyone else see them or just him? No, they can see him. But I'm going to put this on it. They don't really like know who the people are. You know, like they just, it's just like a person sitting. You wouldn't now see. That was making sense because if it's John Lennon, people would recognize John Lennon. I know, but I don't want the thing to be that they just walk around getting mobbed in public and freaked out because some guy looks like they have to be ghosts. Then, well, maybe they would think that they're just like an impersonator. That's it. That's the thing. So people either don't recognize him or think they're impersonating. Maybe what he did, what he did was he spun this into a business <laughs> where, where he, then, he then hires them out for parties. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't know he's got any day though. Like he's got a book, it's Edward G. A- Robinson today. It's not an easy business. Who needs Edward G. Robinson today at a car wash <laughs> opening? I mean, like that's, you know, it, listen, Brian spends a lot of time at his desk with his <laughs> hands on his temples just going, oh, God. Just waiting for the day Marilyn Monroe comes. Yep. All right. Well, thank you to Greg and Ryan for being $5 or higher patrons. And that's happening over at patreon.com slash fanboy where we've hit our next stretch goal, which is the Media Explode show and the old video show uploads which are happening rapidly. And our next stretch goal is the quarterly barbecue and email video show that we used to do, which we'll start doing again once we hit our next stretch goal. So go over to patreon.com slash ifanboy, and that is where you'll find that. And we appreciate the support. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com, that's where you find our T-shirts. We call them T-shirts, but it's early our designs that can be put on any product they sell there. The ifanboy logo, her and pick the podcast, ratings if one is electro, GDAT, nothing makes something matters. New design is stay home and read comics, which is taking the world by storm. It's rapidly... Becoming our number one design, which is great because a portion of all the sales will go to Comic Book United Fund, which is the new fund that benefits comic stores directly. And as soon as this sort of settles down, we'll send them a check so you can help support stores. So you can support a great message, which is stay home and read comics. I was wearing one on a Zoom call the other day, and someone was like, oh, that's a cool shirt. I gave them the, the URL. 
And beginning May 10th, all of our regular t-shirts in our store are $15. That's a bargain. It's a good bargain. This sale's a week long. It ends next weekend, May 17th. So check it out if you want some discounted t-shirts. Fanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out directly via PayPal, which people have done in the past. And thank you. And Fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can uh, find links for the book explodes. You can find there and also a general link for shopping. And we thank everyone who does that. Uh, supporting the show we realize it's, times are really hard for everybody we're no exception so any support you can throw away we, we do appreciate that so thank you very much so let's move on with the show and let's welcome ron richards to the show hey guys hey ron's here how you doing and uh we're talking about gi joe we're in gi joe corner gi joe real american hero and this is exciting because we're in the next volume the revenge of cobra this is part one in the cobra's pit which aired a year later september 10th 1984 but the same team, Dan Thompson directing, Ron Friedman writing and producing from Marvel Productions. And this is much more the G.I. Joe yeah, you'll, you'll think of and remember. Wherever they I mean, were outsourcing the animation to, they leveled up. What really got me about this is that the new opening sequence in and of itself. So many more toys. Could be the subject of a G.I. Joe corner alone, not even the episode itself. Like, I had to watch the opening two or three times because it was just going so fast. I'm like, oh, there's Spirit. There's Cutter. There's, yeah, so it was oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they changed the opening song, which used to say Cobra and Destro, to Cobra the Enemy, which adds an extra syllable. Yes. Cobra the which, Enemy. Which, to be honest, is more accurate. Yes. Yeah. They're basically folding Destro into Cobra's org chart with that right. change. So that's fine. But at this point, if this is picking up from the last miniseries, Destro is in charge of Cobra, right? Cobra Commander was captured. I imagine they had meetings in the off season <laughs> and someone was like, uh, all right, we have to work out this Destro thing because by the end, it just didn't make sense. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, well, we also had some problems with the science. Shut up. The Destro thing didn't make sense. <laughs> None of the physics worked. It's not important. So we, here we have, even though it's a new dawn for G.I. Joe, a new year, a new song, a new open, it's a very similar story. I was going to say, I was going to say, I mean, I don't think this one will have G.I. Joe transporting some sort of technology only to be ambushed by Cobra and have them steal it. That wouldn't happen. And would then it? kidnap Duke. And no, Duke <laughs> wouldn't get kidnapped again. <laughs> the first time I saw the Energy core, I went, oh, you're kidding me. The next, it's another, because then I was like, there's two other parts. This is another three-part, like, so, they so didn't now, do it right away, but I know it's coming. So now what's interesting, and not to get too away, like, I, I usually want to, I want us to keep to just this episode, yeah. but the first miniseries, this miniseries, and then there were two more five-part events that happened in the lifespan of G.I. Joe that were all written by Ron Friedman and they followed the exact same arc. He, That's Ron that, Friedman's move. He has a successful formula. He's going to do it until it's over. G.I. Joe's transporting something. They get ambushed. Then someone gets kidnapped by Cobra. Then both G.I. Joe and Cobra need to span the globe to get pieces of something. Three. Right. It's always three. It's always three things Rule that they threes. break up into teams. And it's, uh, it's like literally like Ron Friedman had like he read one Joseph Campbell book and was like, yep, that's my story. I'm just going to do that. And that's also it. little things <laughs> like Baroness being undercover as an yeah, administrative person happened again. Like it was all very much like, oh, this is very familiar. But we did get a lot of new faces and we did get a lot of new folks and we got a lot of vehicles. And in fact, actually, I did some research on this episode and uh, that there is nearly close to somewhere like. 36 or 37 individual G.I. Joe and Cobra people that pop up in this episode alone, like alone. And, and, and almost that many vehicles. If I can just say one thing in Roger Friedman's defense, yeah. 
we're still talking about this. Oh, it works. Fair. It works. Oh, I'm totally. not complaining. It's, I'm it's, just saying you know, it's funny. Yeah. 37 years later, like my guess is that first time around, he didn't put a lot into it. I don't know. We're doing something for the toys. Who gives a shit? This one, it was like I was doing the same thing. Let's put a shitload more toys in it. And when he did that, I was a happy little boy, and now I'm a happy middle-aged man. It's funny because if you get into the plot of it, it opens up G.I. Joe is on this desert road in Arizona or New Mexico somewhere transporting this energy core. Which is not covered anyway. It's just on top of the truck. Well, listen, it's a dry heat, Connor. With so many vehicles and <laughs> helliopters and ships, and Cobra basically takes them out with a bunch of gliders. Yeah, I noticed that, and well, I would like a to bunch point of out gliders the- and one trouble bubble. <laughs> That's true. It, with a poorly drawn trouble bubble, and I and it brought me back to like that looks like a terrible trouble bubble when I was eight. But I <laughs> like the first thing I noticed were the vehicles that have like the skids and fly. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, oh, I remember that. I thought it was really cool. And I looked it up. It's called the Skyhawk. Skyhawk. But I would also yep. I would like to point out that that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> there's that, there's there's no way that works. But it looked cool. Also, it did look a little cramped for Duke. I was like, it's a little small for you, buddy. One of my favorite moments of this entire at watching this episode. So I watched this episode while I was cooking dinner, and my wife was just kind of going back and forth, you know, as you know, as as you do, and that's the thing. And at one point, she stopped and looked at the screen and said, "Is that a dog in the cockpit?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's Mutt in Junkyard." And she's like, "The guy's name is Junkyard, and he named his dog Mutt." I go, "No, I know. his name is Mutt. The dog's <laughs> name is Junkyard." <laughs> And then I that only that only what are you not getting about this? <laughs> that was the setup for a joke that paid off about five minutes later because later in the episode Flint crashed in the, the Valley of Doom or whatever it is, and he's looking for his other Joes and he's yelling out names and he's like, Mutt, junkyard? Yep, and she yep, stops. Yep. She goes, Is he yelling for the dog? I go, apparently. <laughs> I had I had that self-same thought. I exactly that I had that moment. Exactly that, yes. So the Cobra attacks and you know they're they're coming out of nowhere. Fireflies there, and uh, the guy who's the guy in the jeep, uh, scrap iron, uh, scrap iron. Yes, with the helmet that the moccasin driver. It's the same sculpt but green. Oh. Remember the there was yes. the, the 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 Cobra water boat guy has the same helmet as scrap iron. I yeah. love that. Vehicle. I had that Cobra jeep. So Firefly goes in this trouble bubble and he drops a bunch of grenades. It must have been full of napalm because there's giant hundred foot flames <laughs> block the road. Enormous wall of fire. Roadblock, who's in a flying machine, says, ah, we're blocked. <laughs> I was like, you can fly over it or around it. Star Trek rules. <laughs> right. There's something right in front of them. Like, oh, we can't get by it. <laughs> Half of you are in helicopters. You can go all kinds of ways to get around this fire. But then Duke and Snake Eyes are both grabbed. Snake Eyes in his new design, which yes. looks way better in the comics and as a toy, I feel like doesn't work as well on the cartoon as the other design because it's just it's almost monochrome it gets better in the cartoon as they add more stuff to the painted on costume aspect yeah. of this like i did it looks a lot better than the first miniseries mind you like the first miniseries just looked like you somebody put a ski mask over his head and, and that was it and then goggles but at least this we get the signature eyes visor yeah. thing that he has you know and you know by the time we get to the gi joe movie in 1987 you know three years from when this was made they add grenades they add like more stuff to it that gives yeah. a, that gives the costume a little more depth but i gotta say that this snake eyes and then with the addition of flint and lady J, who mind you 
first crush, <laughs> Lady J. She has a um, she has a flinty smoker's voice, doesn't she? Yeah. Well, what was funny was that I was also as I'm cooking, I said to my wife, I said, "Hey, there's my first crush," and it went by so fast, and it was Scarlet. She was like, "Oh, is that because she looks like Jean Grey?" I was like, "No, no, no, not Scarlet." And then I we rewound. I went to Lady J, and she looked at me. And she goes, "Yeah, that tracks," and just walked away. <laughs> So, uh, so this modern snake eyes, Flint, Lady J, like these are my G.I. Joes. And on the other side, you had Zartan and the, and the Dreadnoughts and you had uh, so, Storm Shadow. You had a lot more. The a world lot more of the, the modern stuff. So, 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 so I got a lot to say about Zartan. So I remember getting the action figure of Zartan yep. and being so excited because it was so freaking weird. And he had that hard molded. Could you put brown. him in water and he'd change color? Well, that's yes. the thing. That's the thing is that you put him in the sun and he changed to he changed oh, that's blue. Right. That's right. And I remember go, go, like that's so weird. There's all this backstory and all this sort of stuff, and it just never happened in the cartoon until this episode where it happened once, where he goes, "Ah, oh, I hate the sun," and his skin turns blue, and he he says it blocks my chameleon powers. No explanation. Never return to that. But it, also, however, he, doesn't, he doesn't use chameleon powers. He puts on a rubber mask. Yeah, which he said, now I can do your face, but he clearly had already prepared the mask. <laughs> it's weird. It was in the, he already had it. They didn't, he didn't um, need him for anything. He needed a voice. We get the Dreadnoughts who, again, as I'm, as my wife is watching this, she's like, are these supposed to be the Warriors? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, think, I feel like it's a little Warriors, a little Clockwork Orange. Like it's an amalgam of a bunch it's, of stuff here. It's a and, little Spinal Tap. It's also a little bit, you know, middle-aged Guys from a different era dealing with punk rockers and yes, you know, yeah. like it's the DC thugs. Yeah, yes, right? it is a- the '80s DC thugs. But then, then Ripper talked, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's just Cobra Commander with a bad Australian accent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> this brings me to the thing that I didn't know. This is the that when I because I was looking at he spoke and I thought, oh, that's just Chris Lotta, who is also now referred to as Chris Collins. I don't know what the difference is there. It doesn't matter. Less what ethnic. I did, I did great. What I <laughs> did not know was that that is also the same person who does the voice of Gung Ho. Hmm. Which I, I was blown away. He's got that much range yet he can't do a new voice for Ripper. It was funny because after watching the first five episodes and then this episode, it's like, wow, you know, they, they really got a lot of great vocal voiceover performances. There's a lot of everyone. There's different accents. There's different approaches and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, and then it's just it's just Cobra Commander doing a bad Australian accent. Well, I mean, Cobra <laughs> Commander is Starscream. Exactly. There's no difference between it. <laughs> sure. uh, I, I would say. 50% of the Joes are apparently from Brooklyn in the 50s. <laughs> so there's that, you know, like different neighborhoods, but pretty much the same guys. So like they had some range, but so uh, one of my other favorite moments uh, talking talk about range is the 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 uh, the commanding voice of Flint as the added member of the team. So when Duke gets uh, captured and Flint just goes, well, I guess I'm in charge now. I knew you would love that moment. <laughs> I noticed it, too. Which is funny because Duke is Cyclops. So who is Flint? No, Flint is Cyclops. Duke is a jerk. I've I've never liked Duke. I've never liked Duke. Um, Wait, no, but if if Flint is Cyclops, then who is Duke? Then you have to have... Duke is Cyclops. Xavier. Duke is Xavier. No, no, Hawk is Xavier. Uh, Hawk is barely in it. Duke is Cyclops. Flint is someone else. The X-Men G.I. Joe connections really aren't there, guys. It's a stretch. I will say that if you ever question Flint being Cyclops, Flint's quote from this episode that we all remember is, remember, a cobra's a snake, and a snake is sneak spelled sideways. 
And that is is Cyclops' dialogue if I've ever heard it. <laughs> I had to rewind that. I'm like, what did he just say? I'm like, oh, a snake is sneak spelled sideways. He's right. So... <laughs> So Cobra Commander's captured while Duke and Snake Eyes are captured by Cobra. They take Cobra Commander to the base. At first, I'm wondering why Colonel Sharp's traveling through the swamp. I had that, but it looks like they've got their jail right there. Well, that's because so the base like, is in the swamp. At first, I was like, why is he in the swamp? That seems... He had to, he had really, to go out and check the perimeter with the guys. With no security. Um, so yeah. that brings in Zartan and the Dreadnoughts, who capture Colonel Sharp, put him in a tiger cage, stick him in the swamp, and they take over his identity. <laughs> And they go and infiltrate the Joe base that's in the swamp with the help of undercover Baroness, now in her dominatrix outfit, because she wasn't in that in the first. Finally. Finally. Uh, they, they, they bust out Cobra Commander, who I totally forgotten does wear the mask in this yes. costume. So, ooh, ooh, there's, two th- there's two things, because I knew that was coming, because for some reason when I looked at the summary for the episode, it said featuring the appearance of the. And I was like, oh, I didn't. But the better part for me was that happens later, but when he's escaping through the swamp yes. on oh. Zartan's bike and just screaming like a weenie. <laughs> he gets a branch caught on his helmet and it starts to pull it off and we see that it's not a face mask but a full dome. Yeah. 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 Which and the I helmet not... just sits on top of the dome. Right. Correct. Yeah. Hey, is that line on that little marking on his helmet, is yes. that a shine or is that a stripe? I think it's a stripe. No, it's a shine. No, I think it's a shine. Well, yeah, I think yeah. it's, a sh- it's, it's not a stripe. Yeah. It's always the same it's definition it's not good animation um what what, what <laughs> Listen, i found it's not good animation <laughs> i don't know how to i don't know how to explain it better than that but what, what i also found fascinating from this was that while that's happening destro and major blood are plotting the use of the weather dominator which is the new weapon that that they have where destro can control the weather destro's basically cleared out cobra commander's offices moving his furniture in. that's basically what's happening that's what i was saying was that it was that destro laughs and goes ha 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 everything's going according to plan and i thought i'm like oh they meant for cobra commander to get captured because something's gonna happen and then when cobra commander comes back to base destro is very surprised well he's measuring for drapes yeah for sure exactly and and then and then, and then, and then, and then, then i got chokes ver- him with mutant vines <laughs> well i got i and got he very still ex- doesn't fire this guy well, what I also liked was that when Co- when Cobra Commander shows up and he goes, "How did you survive?" and there's a Crimson Guard there, which I didn't realize we so we got the Crimson Guard this early. You saw them very briefly in the attack. Yeah, uh, Crimson Guard were awesome. This is where Cobra Commander reveals that that Zartan and the Dreadnoughts are not actually Dreadnoughts are not actually Cobra employees. Rather, they are mercenaries that Cobra Commander keeps on retainer for just this sort of event. Private contract. Yeah, exactly. And then he throws him a bag of gold coins. <laughs> The that balloons. the Crimson Guard Gardenism brought him, and I was like, "What currency is that?" On a on a platter, <laughs> they're yeah. Cronus on a platter. Now, one thing that I, you know, you're talking about the Crimson Guard showing up is I remember this all progressing a lot slower when I was a kid. <laughs> like I remember, like when are these new guys going to show up? Now I'm like, we're six issues in, and we've jumped year. And it's funny that you just said like then the movie came out in '87. I was like, that was only three years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that, that long. Feels like my entire childhood. No, this it was the, it was it was the time span. There were there were thirty five characters in this episode. No, you know, Cover Girl debuted her new suburban mom haircut. You had barbecue. Was barbecue in it? No, barbecue's oh. not in this. He, he's in the opening. This is the list of the Joes that are in this episode. All right. Wow. You got Breaker, Clutch, Cover Girl, Duke, Flint, Green Shirts, Gung Ho, Lady J, Mutton Junkyard, Roadblock, Rock and Roll, Short Fuse, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Sparks. Stalker, Thunder, Tripwire, and Wild Bill. 
Yes. Wait, is green shirts like red shirts, or is there a character called green shirts? No, they're just they're just the they're oh, okay. like red gotcha. shirts. Yeah, they're just regular green Sorry. green soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, you know, like I could see it going either way. Yeah, exactly. And now that that is matched by Cobra, which including Zartan the Dreadnoughts, Baroness Buzzer, Cobra Commander, uh, Cobra Officer, Cobra Trooper, Crimson Guard. Destro, Firefly, Major Blood, Ripper, Scrap Iron, Stor- Storm Shadow, Torch, Viper Pilot, and Zartan. That's a lot of people in one episode. In is. 20 minutes. Now, yeah. I, my main takeaway from this is that a year later and a giant failure with the mass device later, Cobras learn nothing. There's a giant Cobra base somewhere, a giant <laughs> fortress, and they're still capturing Joes to fight their gladiator games. It's By the way, have you – yeah, well, well the gladiator games is the next episode. Right, so but that's, he, says, he says they'll be, these, they'll be great for the gladiator game. I was like, but you're ha- still doing it. You still wasted all of your money building a giant stone fortress somewhere. Well, hang on. Not not only a stone that, fortress, that, that but goes I, in and out of the sand. I, I was just gonna say, of all the characters in all the GI Joe Cobra pantheon, right? There's like one or two that are on this next level cool. Yeah. Right. Like like that 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 they really broke the mold. And Storm Shadow is one of them, right? Yeah. We're all agreed. Storm Shadow is like one of the best characters. All I mean, he does. It was prime time for Ninja. All yeah. he does in this episode is pull a lever to make the base <laughs> come up out of the ground. That's a little Destro goes Storm Shadow, pull the lever, and then that's it. And that's all he does. No, wait. Also, he said Strom Shadow. I went back and I listened, <laughs> and I was like, he got it wrong. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that we all were watching the thing, and then Storm Shadow showed up, and like all of us got whatever our little kid version of boners were. Oh, he's there! And they called him Strom Shadow, pulled a lever, and that was it. And I bet I was thrilled about it. It's the Boba Fett of GI Joe. You know, in the comics, it was all about Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, and they were the primary yeah. characters, and they had the best story, and they had really interesting yep. arcs. And they couldn't use Snake Eyes, and we talked about this before. He doesn't talk. It's hard to have a character in an 80s cartoon who doesn't talk. And Storm Shadow becomes then sort of Spirit's arch enemy for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, they don't do a lot with him because it's also – it's still the cartoon's mostly about Cobra Commander, Destro, Major Blood, and Baroness, and then Tomaxon's name about when they show up. So there really isn't room for Storm Shadow because they get all these flamboyant – vaguely european villains to deal with major blood's voice is more annoying than any of them <laughs> yes yes <laughs> it's really bad <laughs> that also caused my wife to go what is his accent and i was like i yeah. think it's cockney i'm not sure <laughs> with, a, with a with his numb nuts helmet it's just <laughs> you know why you know why gi joe hasn't defeated cobras because at one point someone makes a dumb joke about using a snake finder or something and they laugh for 30 seconds about it yes yeah yep. While their leaders and best fighter have been kidnapped. I just think they realize it's not like a real threat, but he does keep the funding coming. <laughs> True. Like, that's their move. As long as we don't totally defeat these yahoos, we get our budget. Oh, wow, I'm looking at... They get the best toys. 2138, and they totally forgot to color in this, the flag on Duke's shoulder. It's just a, it's just a drawing of a flag without the colors. <laughs> um, I just, I, I love the idea that Three or four years from this point, like I, I seven year old Josh went to ten year old Josh, and he was like, "All these new characters have jumped the shark." But it <laughs> felt like a decade in, in real, you know. Well, back then everything felt like a yeah, I know. Well, we and also, know. and also, this made me look into it too because this is pre PSAs. Like this is still. still this is still just a mini series event that happens, and like that's why there's no PSAs because they haven't done them yet. Right, exactly, and there's then no, and it's there's not no, and, there's no shipwreck either. And when they That's start right. the regular series, they start it with another five part miniseries, and they don't they don't start w- like one and done episodes for literally years. Crazy, like, that is it's, crazy. It's, uh, it's, oh god, I love it so much. I just love it so much. It's, it's so great. I, I did watch this episode, and I was just like, it's all 
it's all that I want. It, yeah. I, re- I really like Connor was starting to watch it, and I know it. I think I have time to watch it again. <laughs> and I remember trying to watch it a while ago. I think maybe when the first DVDs came out, so that would have been probably 15 years ago or something like that. And I tried to watch it, and it didn't. You know, I was like, ah, it's not doing it for me anymore. I remember the joke being, oh, it's just wall to wall action. But now that I've got some time, you know, and we can really, we've we've done a lot of analysis on these things. I feel like I can really savor it again for the first time due to this process. Yeah, it's great. This yeah. is this is a, this is a glorious thing. This is a glorious thing. So so one episode in of a five part miniseries, you know, the world is in danger. Cobra's got a new weapon. They're going to control the weather. And then you know the cliffhanger is is that Flint and uh, Roadblock and Mutt and Jet are uh, Mutt and Jet Mutt and Jet. Junk, junkyard are uh, trapped, Jeff, tra- but trapped, you got it wrong. Are trapped in a uh, trapped in the Valley of Doom with these crazy vines that are going to attack. Well, them. that's the next episode. Is the vines of evil not to be confused with the worms of death? In the last, <laughs> in the last miniseries. <laughs> you know what? Ron Friedman took fifteen minutes to rewrite the first no, bunch I'm of scripts sure. and send them in. I'm telling you, he had a spreadsheet with just a bunch of blanks, you know, like the something of something. Okay, great. What is that going to be? Okay, cool. Let's do it. Oh, uh, man, so we'll be back next week with part two of The Revenge of Cobra. We're excited. I want to know what happens to Duke and Snake Eyes. Don't go too far ahead. You'll ruin it. I hope they don't have to fight each other. That's G.I. Joe Corner. We've gone long between this and New Frontier, so we no emails. Contact at fanboy.com if you want to write us an email. So we get some good ones. We'll try to do some soon, although we're there's a lot to talk about. Let's wrap this up quick. It's ironic that the shows are running longer when there's less oh. comics coming out. Oh, totally. Like it was like we don't know what's going to happen during these uh, quarantine shows or whatever. Twice as long. Oh, well, we basically okay. replaced that's... the 10-minute pow talk with a full books blowed. Yeah, so that's that. that's your extra and, 20 minutes. And then <laughs> 20 to 30 minutes of GI Joe talk, and then we're still trying to do the other stuff. So. <laughs> What are you going to do? Talksplode. Uh, I talked to Kelly. We're trying to find a time that works. So I'll have a Kelly Thompson Talksplode for you in the near future. The Booksplode that is coming up is Jack Kirby's New Gods by Jack Kirby. Slow going. It's a long book uh, and it's very enjoyable, but it doesn't necessarily lend itself to sitting there for hours and hours at a time. But also now that we're reading an extra trade per week. Uh, that is an issue. <laughs> it's taken up my Booksplode reading time. So it's going to happen. Yes, it is. It's gonna happen. And it's not like you're not getting enough long-form book content. <laughs> right. We've basically done three book spuds this it's month. True. Next week is the our Patreon Hangout, which we're going to open up to everyone again because we're still on lockdown. Set Saturday, May 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Everyone can come. We're going to revisit an old topic. That's your teaser, which will be fun. But before that is the Tiki Happy Hour. Again, open for everyone. Same day, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's when me and Gordon, the intern, and a bunch of other people will drink for an hour. And chat with you in the chat room before we start the hangout. So if you're around Saturday, May 16th, 5 p.m. through 7 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. through 10 p.m. Eastern, come hang out with us. It'll be fun. In the meantime, head over to fanboy.com. You find all our podcasts. You can find out what the Pick League is before the show comes up by liking facebook.com slash fanboy, following fanboy on Twitter or at fanboycomics on Instagram. Best of the week in panels return this week because there were some comics. Individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram, J.A. Flanagan on Instagram and Twitter, although you're taking a Twitter break, and Ron XO on Twitter and Instagram, correct? That's that's me. Yeah. Also, as we mentioned before, our YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy. That's where we're updating the old video shows from the uh, stretch goal that we hit. We've got a lot of them, new ones up there, so if you want to see them, subscribe at youtube.com slash ifanboy. You'll see all the old shows. They're pretty terrible in the beginning, if we're, if we're, oh, if we're honest. Oh, they're, they're, if we're, they're, be honest, they're not good. They're not good. They're not. <laughs> if we're honest, no. they get better. They're our Ron Friedman era. <laughs> they get but, better. You know, there's seeds of things there that we like, but 
Not good. Also, somebody commented, they were like, I remember the video quality being better. I was like, nope, not those early shows. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that they weren't in HD for a while, or had, I'd forgotten. Pre-HD, it was pre-HD. There was no HD. Do you remember? It was funny because I was remembering back to in 2007 when we started doing that and the hours it would take to upload a 15-minute episode. It took 24 hours to upload it to Revision 3, and if your internet died at all, you had to start over. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really bad. Do you remember that? My wife was working on a project, and we could not figure out why the files kept coming out. She, like she'd shot some stuff on tape. She couldn't figure out the, why, why the files were coming out in non-HD. And then I go, wait a minute. We didn't have HD when you shot this. And she was like, oh, that's why they're like this. And this was like two days. It's like looking at the show through gauze. Absolutely. But that's not our fault. No, but also we look better. All the well, lines yeah. are smoothed out. It's great. <laughs> in our shorts. If you like this show, this version, or whatever version of it is we're doing, you can go leave a star rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. That's awesome. Or better yet, uh, just if you talk about it on social, not even better yet, but also good, talk about it on social media. Let people know about it. Let us know that if you enjoyed shows, if you like what's going on. If you don't, not so much, but you could. It's fine. I can't stop you. Tell your friends about us. Do that kind of stuff. Uh, thanks to everybody who does that. Thanks to everybody who's listening. I definitely, we all hope that that this is helping. People have told us that it, it's you know helping them get through. And I know that I'm listening to things that are helping me get through. And this, for us, is making this a lot easier, just having this time to spend and, and listen to G.I. Joe and all that stuff. So thank you. Everybody. I, I mean, listening. at minimum, Josh just needs somebody to talk to. So I mean... <laughs> my, my wife's only got so much in it. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Ron, for coming for G.I. Joe Corner. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. I'm Ron. I wasn't sure if I was just to go again. I forgot. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm we rusty. Very confused. It's okay. <laughs> now that, yeah, no, I get it. It's fine. <laughs> Wash your hands. Fill my heart with song. Let me sing forever.